This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Good afternoon, Steve-O. It is, isn't it? I see you got the Monarch hat on. Of course, right? Why not rep it? I like it. Had a couple of good thundercracks earlier today. Looks like it's sunny, so who the hell knows when you're living in an office space, right? So it's uh, middle of June. Um, We're recording this. we got six weeks till sheep season. That's scary. Six weeks, we'll be in the mountains. Wow. Already? Yeah, it's hard to believe, actually. That means just oh it'd be three months that that i'll be on my fly in oh but who's counting right because i'll i fly in on the 13th of september who's counting yeah 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 wow yeah it's coming quick so hopefully you're out training man you get the pack on and you're putting some miles on it's what i do it's what i do so i was uh i was 65 yesterday i did five miles with 65 8k so it was that's pretty good not much elevation but um yeah it was good my uh my uh, flexors, hip flexors are a bit <laughs> stiff today, but I'm going to throw it on again tonight and head out for maybe a shorter one just to, you know, no, try they, to get, yeah. The one, the minute you throw that weight on your back, it's, you, you realize that, oh, wow, I've got muscles there that I forgot that I had or didn't even know you had, right? Yeah. More so the next day you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I feel good doing this. I'm good. I'm good. And then day, two days later, it's like, oh, I can't get out of bed. <laughs> not good yeah, anybody doing some sure. sheep sheep hunting or uh or training in general will know that right it just comes with time yeah for sure so we just did a podcast with uh trevor carruthers on taxidermy um we're looking for more ideas if you got any ideas uh email communications at wildsheepsociety.com uh any how-to stuff um so the more feedback we get we can tailor the show to you um so don't be afraid to let us know what you want and um yeah, if you write in and we use your idea uh, or your guest, we'll send you some swag. So uh, communications at wildsheepsociety.com. Keep the ideas coming. And and let us know if you want the episodes to be shorter or longer, right? Because right now we're trying to cap in about an hour. And that, that from the feedback we were getting at the beginning, that's what people were wanting. Because most people's commutes are 20, 25 minutes to work. They want something to listen to and from work. But if if you want them longer or shorter, let us know that as well. I do think though that with my magical voice that people just want to listen, right? So <laughs> Oh sorry, I fell asleep there for a second. What were you saying? <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I hope people can listen to I can't listen to my own podcast. So anyway, uh, enough about me. Uh episode thirty four, Hunters of Color. This is a fantastic podcast. Uh we welcome Jimmy Flat to the show. He's one of the founders along with uh, Lydia Parker and Thomas Tyner uh, of uh, Hunters of Color. And uh, a great lesson, mm-hmm. obviously, accomplished hunter, right? Like the guys killed a lot of stuff, and yeah, uh, no kidding. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's, uh, I was, I was curious to see if it was an adult onset hunter or whatever, but no eight years old. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This, this is an episode I've been wanting to put together for a heck of a long time. When I first uh, heard of them on Instagram and started interacting with one campfire with them, we had to just, just such a great conversation. I, I knew there was, there was something we needed to discuss and it was a great platform for it. And I, I think this episode is very, very, uh, emotive and interesting and just we'll, we'll draw out good conversations and good thoughts from people i'm hoping so i i really really enjoyed this chat with him well I, you know jimmy is just you, you can tell his personality he's a humble guy he's well spoken uh he's respectful and i really like the you know the, the messaging that he shared uh, mm-hmm. about community about inclusion about diversity um and it was uh just there was a, a sense of inclusivity. It wasn't, you know, excluding anyone, right? It want, it want, no. They want everyone to be involved. And uh, I think it's a really important message and, and hats off to them for doing it. It's a, a great movement and we've seen a lot of, they've seen a lot of support. They're doing really well with it, right? Absolutely are. And they're, they're only going to, only going to grow. Like, like I said, when I first heard of them probably last year, they had less than a thousand followers on Instagram and they're, just under 9,000 now they are skyrocketing and it's for good reason. And you'll, you'll hear why in this episode. Yeah. Um, it was interesting too, like some of the obstacles and issues that mm-hmm. raising to really one campfire centric, right? Like about educating people about hunting and maybe, maybe they're not going to be a hunter. Maybe they're not interested, but, um, at least giving them a level of acceptance so that, you know, they have a school curriculum that they're, um, sharing. And I, I thought, you know, what a great, program and um you know a lot of the issues and obviously there's a the diversity and 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 the color issue which is you know their mission statement that's the bread and butter what they're doing but there's a lot going on there that you know all hunters have to worry about right oh yeah just so many layers to unpack that you you don't even realize right and a lot of things you 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 take for granted just by opening the door and throwing on a pack it just stuff you don't think of and i i really like I said, really appreciated this conversation that we were able to have. And it, it's it been a long time coming. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. No, I appreciate you setting it up, Steve. And uh, so episode 34, Hunters of Color, Jimmy Flat. Enjoy the listen. If you looked up the words conservation superhero in the dictionary, you would see a picture of our friend Omer from Precision Optics, a tireless donor and supporter of all things wild sheep. Precision Optics, located in Quinell, British Columbia, truly stands alone in the high alpine. From optics to rifles to outdoor gear and a knowledge that cannot be surpassed, toss in that killer smile and you have a total conservation package. Precision Optics, we are truly thankful for the support you show us every step of the way. Find them online at precisionoptics.net or in Aroma Foods, located just off Highway 97 in Quinell, BC. Hey Jimmy, welcome to Talk is Sheep. Uh, it's great to get you on the show. Thanks for coming on tonight. Thanks for having me. Yeah, totally stoked. So um, obviously you're uh, a founder of uh, Hunters of Color um, and uh, obviously a hunter yourself. Um, you know, I really want to jump into Hunters of Color and learn all about the organization, what you guys stand for and your beliefs, but um, maybe if you could share a little bit about uh, your journey, like uh, where you started hunting, um, you know, uh, your development, how you uh, got involved with it, and just kind of go right from the very beginning of your hunting background up to today, how you got to where you're at. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, even before my my lifetime, uh, my dad was um, a game warden in... Uh, 
at, on Camp Pendleton while he was stationed there as a, a he was in the Marines. And uh, he kind of steered away from hunting or teaching me how to hunt because while he was a game warden, the only couple thi- or the only things that he really got involved with were the bad side of hunting. He he was writing up poaching violations. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would yeah, horror stories from the the coyotes and the immigrants coming over uh, because the the base is right on the border. Um, but so he steered away from it. He he really encouraged me to get out and uh, be adventurous and explore and. Uh, Growing up, he taught me how to fish, how to camp, how to backpack. Uh, but then it wasn't until I was eight years old that one of my close family friends invited me out on a, on a hunt uh, in the Central Valley of California for ducks. And uh, it, it's like it's like deeply ingrained in my brain that that morning. It was pitch black. I just remember walking through the water. The waders that I was in were, were leaky, so I was getting soaked. And I was shivering to the <laughs> shivering to the bone uh and it was it was a really foggy morning and I, I was looking at the dogs and the dogs started to get interested in something in the sky and so i looked up and through the fog came two mallard ducks and uh my dad and my best friend at the time's dad shot both of them and that was it for me i was i was hooked at that moment <laughs> um i didn't care about being cold i didn't care about being wet uh, and so I think that next year I, I forced my dad to let me take the hunter safety course. Uh, I then pushed him into getting me into uh, to turkey hunting and like together we learned. So me and my dad learned how to hunt together, even though um, I mean, my dad was probably at that point 35 or something like that. Uh, but it was really my uh addiction to being outdoors that really pushed him into to going and uh I mean, he doesn't hunt anymore unless i'm there <laughs> uh, <laughs> one day i'd love to i'd love to get him out into like a canadian uh hunt for like moose or uh bighorn sheep or, or something uh i want to yeah i just want to give back to him for encouraging me to get into this because it's it's led me to be where i am now uh so I mean, my, my hunting journey really started taking off the second I got my, my driver's license and I could start taking myself out and I wasn't relying on my dad to, to go places. Um, and so once I had my driver's license, I was going out every weekend, uh, either fishing or hunting. And uh, that's where I really kind of dove in and started going by myself. And along this, this journey, uh, I started to realize I was the only brown face out there uh, and I, I didn't really realize it was like a thing until 2016 when the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Survey came out that showed that 96% of all hunters are white and then I realized oh that's why I was feeling that way when I was younger um, so move on to college uh, I moved up to Oregon went to Oregon State University uh, and I, I used to be a, a big baseball player. Um, I gave up playing baseball to dive more into hunting, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and to focus on school. Um, but Oregon, there's, there's so many more opportunities than there were in, in California. And, uh, that's when I got into, uh, elk hunting and, and kind of like the backcountry style hunts. Um, and my, my, uh, 
I've had advanced since. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my background on hunting and I'm still trying to tag my first bull, uh, the last four years with archery, uh, I've been within 25 yards of a bull, wow. uh, have not been able to let an arrow fly just because of either the wind swirls or, uh, there's, you're on the, the coastal range where you can't see more than five feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it's been awesome. It's been a, a l- huge learning curve and I mean, I love it. I, I live for it. That's awesome, man. So, um, let's just, I'm just curious, um, have you done any, um, other big game stuff chasing deer around or anything like that? Obviously very accomplished bird hunter. Um, and obviously spent a lot of time in the field chasing elk, but, and, and, and just, I think you probably know this, but there's easier ways to kill an elk than with a, with a bow and arrow, right? Just, just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but It puts you right in the middle of the rut and, uh, and you get to call them in and also the, the, archery season tends to be a lot longer than the rifle season. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I, at least, at least I get to pick and choose my weekends and, uh, instead of having just two weekends to go out, I get a full month and, uh, it's yeah. Last year was cut short because of all the wildfires, but, uh, hopefully this year it's a little better. Yeah. Right on. Well, Oregon state doesn't get much better for sure. And, um, you mentioned the sheep hunt. Have you been putting in for your sheep draws or what's going on with that? Yeah, I've been putting in for the Oregon uh, draws for five years now. Awesome. Um, yeah. But I think it's like on average, or at least the units that I've been putting into are like 17-year draws. <laughs> so wow. uh, I'll be waiting a while. And they're bighorns down there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah I, you. I know the the draw about the, the duck hunting. I I, I'm an adult onset hunter myself and I didn't get going until my thirties and uh, a buddy of mine who's actually a hardcore sheep hunter about five, six, seven years ago said to me, well, we got to go duck hunting. we got to go duck hunting. And it was just, nah, nah, didn't really appeal to me. And one day he, he, after about two years, three years of bugging me, I'm like, okay, well fine, pick me up. And then I realized, okay, well, I'll pick you up at three 30 in the morning. Well, this sucks. So we drive all the way out a couple hours and we get the boat out and up here, you can only shoot migratory birds, but it's half an hour before sunup. So we're out an hour before we start to set up the decoys and he's deaf, like, so he can't hear. So we're throwing out the decoys and I start hearing splash, splash, splash. And he's just throwing the decoys and he has no idea what's going on. But what I'm seeing is the ducks coming in they're already flaring. I'm like, Oh my God, this is amazing. This is amazing. And I'm just, it's now one of my favorite hunts just from not even pulling the trigger that first hour. It was just watching them come in. As you see, it's just, there's something about duck hunting. And if you, unless you've done it, you, you don't really know. So yeah, I, I relate there, man. I totally do. Yeah. To, to wrap back around. Uh, I mean, I started, I started waterfowl hunting. Uh, that was kind of my gateway into, to all hunting and, uh, at 12 years old, I got my first buck with a rifle. Um, and then uh, in California, in the, the zone that I grew up in, it's the A zone, uh, they give you two over-the-counter blacktail tags a year. And uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't rare for me to get both of them uh, when I was growing up. Um, but then when I turned 18, so... Uh, <laughs> Every, every uh, American boy's dream when he's 18 is to get an AR-15. <laughs> um, 
at least when naive young Jimmy was wanted an AR-15 when he turned 18. So uh, my mom, my mom was not about it at all. And uh, it was like, we're not getting you an AR-15. You'll have to find <laughs> something else. And so uh, on my birthday, I thought they blindfolded me and they're like, we're going to go pick up your, your present. Uh, and I thought that they were taking me to a gun shop, but they took me to an archery shop. And they said, you have a $300 spending limit, go ahead, get everything you need. And I mean, if you know anything about archery, $300 is pretty, pretty minimal to get a full archery setup. Uh, and so I came out of there with like a, I mean, entry level bow, uh, full length shafts. And uh, my birthday is like a week before turkey season opens up in California. And the first day I went out, I had... Uh, a turkey at 17 yards I had like these crappy broadheads on and came full draw let the arrow fly and the arrow just sailed right over the turkey <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, what yeah. was that so I I went and got set up on another another spot had another turkey come in let another arrow fly same thing happens and I'm like what is going on so I'm down to my last broadhead and I I knock it, get another turkey to come in and let it fly. Same thing. So I was like, okay, what is going on? Turns out you're supposed to cut your arrows down to length. You're supposed to get your bow tuned. You're supposed to have your draw length set. <laughs> I had none of that. I just pulled it off the shelf and was like, let's go. Um, so huge learning curve. And I made a promise to myself then and there that I wouldn't pick up a rifle or a shotgun until I got my first archery kill. Awesome. It took me, uh, it was like two and a half years and I got my, uh, it actually happened to be a deer. So I was 20 years old. Um, I got a deer actually like there's a window right here, just past this window up in the Hills. <laughs> uh, right on. Yeah. One of my, my buddies had access to some property here and, uh, set up a tree stand and it took me like, I don't know, 14 days of sitting in the same tree. For, to see anything come in, a little spike came in, and uh, it was one of the coolest experiences ever because the I shot it went it was a clean shot right through the uh, right through the heart down under, and then the arrow was sticking in the snow that was below the deer, and the the buck kind of jolted, walked like five feet, and then fell over right there, and Beauty. it was one of the coolest things I've ever experienced, and so that's what hooked me into to archery. And uh, I'm trying to, I've been trying to replicate that with elk, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I, I do some, do you still, still hunt, hunt turkey with the, the archery or are you a little combination of both or what do you do there? Uh, this year was the first year that I didn't get a turkey. Uh, it was like the last like six years I've gotten uh, all of my turkey with a bow. Uh, but this last year I had to put the bow down just because I didn't have enough time because of a nonprofit and everything else that's going on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of weird not, not getting one with a bow this year. Well, congratulations, man. I have to say hats off to you. Just a huge accomplishment just to pick up a bow like that and, and then be so successful year after year. So I have no doubt you're going to kill an elk here this year and, uh, really stoked to, to hear and see all about it. So, uh, right on. That's, uh, 
you're much better hunter than I am. I, I've I've used archery before, and I, I learned really early on that yeah, no, I just stick to what I what I'm okay at. So yeah, yeah I got a couple. I got a couple of bears archery, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, okay, Jimmy, that's great. Uh, fantastic to to obviously you've got a lot of experience in the hunting community. You've you've done a lot of uh, hunting over the years. Um, so you touched a little bit on about being kind of the only brown face in the crowd when you're out chasing uh, the critters around. So I'd, I'd like to jump into Hunters of Color. And, you know, we, I know it's a registered not-for-profit 501c3, and you guys got started last, I guess, last summer. So, and, and you've done a fantastic job of promoting the work you guys are doing. But let's talk, tell our listeners a little bit about what Hunters of Color stands for, and I'd love to hear a little bit about your founders, about Lydia and Thomas too. So, you know, just open up and we'll probably have some questions based on that. Yeah. So Hunters of Color is a nonprofit based in uh, breaking down barriers to entry into hunting for people of color. Uh, and we incorporated in uh, was that August of 2020 um, and became an official nonprofit 501c3 with IRS um, this last April. So pretty recently. Um, and we've, we've had a, a pretty solid uh, social media presence. Uh, we're growing every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are rapidly growing. So we have uh, events that are going to be taking place this, this year um, in New York, um, Oregon, Minnesota, California, Washington. Um, we're looking at Montana and also New Mexico. Um, and then beyond that, I think next year we'll be expanding to more states. Um, and basically, so, I mean, bar- there's a million barriers to entry into hunting, uh, mm-hmm. regardless of your skin color, regardless of your, your ethnic background. Uh, but we are focused on breaking down any barriers that may exist for people of color to get in, uh, into hunting. Uh, the, what, what really sparked our, um, I guess this, this drive and mission to, to accomplish this was in 2016, there was a study that came out. I think I mentioned it earlier. Uh, it was by the U S fish and wildlife service that did the demographics of, uh, of hunting as a whole. And, uh, it showed that 96% of all hunters are white. And, uh, and that doesn't reflect what the U S uh, or North America's demographics rep- or look like. So, um, uh, I mean, growing up, it was, it was pretty obvious that I was the only brown person out there. And, uh, it was rare to find another Hispanic or black person out hunting. Uh, but when I did, I was, I was always curious to see like, Oh, how did you get into hunting or like, how did you get out here? Cause my story is completely different, but, uh, yeah, it was, it, it's, it's been growing rapidly. Um, we, we have a, a lot to do. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of, uh, we have a long way to go, but, uh, we're, we're starting here and it's been going great so far. 
Yeah, I've I've followed you pretty much since would probably be about day one. Like you had less than a thousand followers. It was just I don't remember what post it was. It caught my attention. Like, wow, I really, really like what this this is about. And one of the posts that really got us chatting was that one with Dennis, uh, the in the tree stand where he had all the names thrown at him. And I reached out to you and I said, Can you get us in touch? And sent him a swag pack and said, Hey, this this shouldn't happen. We're all on the same team here. And it's, it's like you said, it's, it's been watching you explode has just, you're, you're skyrocketing and absolutely love watching the posts and seeing the interactions and seeing the who's who coming out to play, so to speak, and, and really jumping on board. And it's, it's great. Yeah. Uh, Dennis was uh, one case that happened to be filmed um, mm-hmm. and we, we decided that we had to elevate that and we got his permission to to share it and uh it it was actually an amazing thing because the community stepped up and really took a stand against the the racism that he Mm -hmm. experienced and uh i mean i we've had some follow-up posts about him but he's uh he's hooked into hunting now um Mm -hmm. he didn't let that one experience deter him from getting out which uh isn't the case for most but uh, because the hunting community did step up and and uh, basically said that most of or most if not all of us are are not okay with this, mm-hmm. um, he was able to to realize that there's there's more good out there than than bad. Absolutely, yeah. Like was two weeks later, he ended up getting his first deer from that tree stand. It was just wow. It was really yeah. really cool to see that. Yeah, and he started off with archery too, which is yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't recommend starting off with archery when you're you're getting into it um, just because of the steep learning curve mm-hmm. but he was all on board and uh yeah he uh he ended up getting a, a few deer this this last season uh which is amazing i, I wish i would have gotten a few deer my first no season. kidding <laughs> <laughs> no kidding <laughs> um but yeah he's he's well into his hunting uh and I'd like to think that we we helped a little bit, um, and we are going to continue to help as much as we can for people who have any trepidations about getting into hunting and and might feel like uh, they might be judged based on their their ethnic background or the color of their skin. Um, and so we're we're just trying to dismantle those those barriers to entry and uh, yeah, and just really make it inclusive of all people um, and show that this community is, is for everybody because we, I mean, we all share a, a connected background that takes us to our ancestral hunting roots. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter who you are, if you're here today, your ancestors were dang good hunters. That's right. Yeah. You know, that's a very good point. And I think the one thing we have to realize is, uh, you know, the first North American hunters didn't look like me, right? It was, uh, you know, certainly they were people of color, First Nations, uh, obviously. So, you know, they, they were the original hunters in North America for sure. And, and they were, I can guarantee they were a heck of a lot better than I am. So uh, there's no question <laughs> about it. Their gear maybe wasn't quite as good as what I have, but I can guarantee you they were a lot more proficient at it. So, um, you know, and so on that point, um, Jimmy, I, I was wondering, you know, it's, it's a tough subject, right? Like discrimination and racism. And we had this case with Dennis. Um I like for you to maybe jump into that. Like, obviously, you guys are about inclusion, about um, you know people of color feeling comfortable and in a safe environment to 
to come into the community and get involved. But um, let's maybe, because we went to Dennis right away, let's maybe touch on the discrimination piece and about racism and, and, and how, how you feel it is in the hunting community. Do you, do you feel as, you know, certainly as hunters of color that you've been welcomed into the hunting community or is this something you see? And obviously racism and, and discrimination is pretty alive and well. We've seen it, you know, flare up in these last couple of years specifically. Um, you know, what does it look like moving forward for you guys? Is that something that's really on your radar or you feel that, you know, there's a lot of work to be done or, or how's it looking from your perspective uh, as a, the founder of Hunters of Color? Well, so far the, the feedback has been amazing. I, I, we've had, I think probably about 99% of all the feedback we've gotten is, is positive. Um, there's, there's a few outliers, but, um, they're far outweighed by the, the positive, um, people in the industry and, and in the community. Um, uh, I mean, you're, we're not going to single-handedly tackle racism, uh, and prejudice within hunting, but we're going to do our part. Um, uh, and for the most part, organizations and bigger companies have taken a stand and have reached out and said that they support us hundred percent. Um, they are, most of them are adopting diversity and inclusion, uh, statements that are, uh, promoting, uh, equity and in their, within their ranks. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's something that, that exists. Um, there, there is, um, some gatekeeping that, that is, prevalent within hunting. Um, but I think through representation, through our active outreach into communities of color, uh, we are going to be dismantling those, those, uh, presuppositions that, uh, hunting is white or, um, hunting isn't for people of color or whatever it may be. Um, and so, one of the things that we are really harping on and trying to create is uh, a community where people of color feel safe in. Um, some people of color, not all, uh, don't feel comfortable going into the woods with a bunch of white men with guns. Um, and so we are, we are actively trying to create an environment where we have a community that, that more closely represents uh, a community that they feel comfortable with or something similar so that uh it's so that they feel comfortable getting out into the outdoors and uh i mean there there's a quote we like to use is that there's a there's a difference between saying you're welcome here and this was built for us um this was built with you in mind and this is a, your space so we're we're trying to create that space right now um and yeah, we're, we're not going to single-handedly dismantle all barriers or all the systemic racism that exists, but we're going to try our best to, to tackle, uh, tackle as best we can. I think you guys are doing a fantastic job in your messaging. So for our listeners and for me too, actually, um, can you just elaborate kind of, you know, what, what are you doing to encourage that? So you talked about all these different events across the U.S., um, I seen that you guys have attended the BHA rendezvous, which is fantastic. So that's the mm -hmm. education component, but then you also, uh, this spring you had those seven hunters out chasing turkeys, right? So, um, can you kind of talk about, break it down for us, 
um, about what you guys are doing. So maybe the education component, the outreach and educating, you know, people outside your own community, but then also, you know, what kind of things you're doing to bring people in to encourage them to, to join as a, a hunter of color. Yeah. So we, I mean, on the educational side, we've got, um, we're, we're breaking down, well, we're, we're giving some historical context to why 96% of hunters are, are white in the United States, or at least in North America. Well, I don't know if the study included Canada, but it's probably not far off. Um, and uh, so, I mean, it starts with the forceful removal of indigenous people from their ancestral hunting lands. Uh, then you have slavery that continued on for another 200 years. And then post-emancipation, there's black codes and different laws that excluded uh, all people of color from, I mean, getting outdoors, going to public pools, uh, swimming in public places, all these, all these different things. Uh, and so we're giving that historical context to, to give people some, uh, some grasp of why and how we ended up where we're at. Um, and then beyond that, we're educating people on, uh, hunting ethics, hunting safety. And, uh, one of our biggest projects in the educational sem or region is, um, a school curriculum that we're working with, um, two individuals. Um, and we hope to start that this coming fall. Um, and we're going to be, uh, it's basically going to be teaching youth um, in like an elementary school setting, how important um, hunting is, how uh, it can be used as a tool for conservation. Hunting is, I don't want to steal the Rocky Mountain Health Foundation quote, but hunting is uh, conservation. And, uh, and even if we don't create hunters out of this, this curriculum, at least we uh, are creating educated uh, future voters that'll be advocates for hunting. Um, uh, along that, we're, we're really pushing, right now we're working uh, on creating a, a curriculum for companies on how to be uh, more inclusive, um, how to do authentic outreach. Um, and then uh, we're also working on an allyship little uh, training module that, uh, that's going to help existing hunters be better allies um, to people of color and uh, people within our ranks of hunters of color. Um, and then uh, we have a mentorship program, which is, is been super popular. We're, we're currently uh, navigating the insurance space, um, which has prevented us from doing a lot with it. Mm -hmm. um, but this turkey season was, I was doing a proof of concept for our, for our, uh, our programming for that. And uh, basically the mentorship program is, is based on uh, the model of hunting has been passed down from usually from father to son or grandfather to grandchild. Uh, and so we want to try to, uh, dismantle the one bit, the barrier that is the, uh, educate or the, uh, the educational gap, um, that it may exist if you have been removed from hunting 
within your family for more than one generation. Uh, and so uh, the mentorship program, the mentors are, we're accepting mentors from all backgrounds, uh, all ethnicities. If you've hunted before, um, we ask that you have at least three years of experience and you want to pass this on to somebody or pass on hunting, uh, we encourage you to sign up for the mentorship program. It's a, it's a quick like 15 minute application. Um, I basically just ask people what species they're, they're comfortable teaching people how to, uh, how to hunt, uh, what their comfort level is in, in teaching. So it could be just as easy as telling people how or where to go to hunt or, um, uh, it could be as simple as how to buy a license or um, how to navigate the the draw. Uh, that's that's something that there's a huge barrier because it took me, uh, I don't know, in Oregon once I moved up here, it took me like three years to finally start applying for uh, my controlled hunts. Um, and then the mentee side of it is uh, – Anybody with zero to two years of experience hunting uh, who is either looking for a, a companion or wants to just get started off from the beginning. Uh, and so the way that we have this slated out is we're going to start in a group environment where we go and do safety briefings. We do uh, uh, like classroom style courses. Um, where we start off with an hour or two of kind of lectures and making sure that everybody understands um, gun safety and ethics. And then we'll go out to the field and, and do like clay, clay shooting or pattern shotguns or uh, shoot your rifle or bow. Um, and then from there, uh, these mentees will be brought to a, uh, a group style hunt. So it's either pheasant or dove or something that's that's uh, conducive to doing group hunts. Um, and then from there, we're gonna, it's gonna slowly taper into a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a mentor. Uh, but in these events, mentors and mentees are encouraged to come. Um, and then from there, we'll start matching people up uh, and letting people actually, or naturally find people that they trust. And uh, yeah, so that's how that's how, how that's going. Uh, Beyond that, we have uh, field the fork programs that we have going on in, in New York, and I think we're going to be doing one in oh one state I forgot was Arkansas. Uh, we're doing that with Jonathan Wilkins, uh, Black Duck Revival, um, and so we're going to be doing a, a duck hunt with them, and then a deer hunt uh, in New York. And the New York program is in partnership with the Nature Conservancy. Uh, uh, BHA and the National Deer Association. And uh, that's going to be a crossbow hunt on the Nature Conservancy's property, which is going to be really wow. cool. Uh, and the I think the coolest part about it is that the Nature Conservancy reached out to us, said, hey, we, we want to do our part in opening up our, our property in New York for people of color, but we don't know how to do it. And so we partnered together and we we got a couple other organizations involved uh, and we're going to be hosting this on uh, just outside of Albany, New York this year. And uh, hopefully that translates to uh, the Nature Conservancy opening up more of their properties for us to host events like this uh, in following years. 
And uh, I mean, one of the one of the biggest barriers to entry we have is land access in the United States. And depending mm -hmm. on where York, there isn't a whole lot of, of public land. Uh, there's there's chunks of it, but uh, primarily it's privately owned, and the Nature Conservancy sees that or yeah, seeing that as one of the main barriers and wants to do their part in opening it up property for uh, people of color to get into hunting. Wow. Like there, there's so much to unravel there. Like, holy, like, wow. Uh, if there's any, any chance that uh, I'd love to chat with you more about that and see if there's a way of getting uh, some of us involved up here in Canada, because that's, that's huge. That's desperately needed. And I, I love the, that direction and the way you planned it out. Yeah. Uh, we've got, We've got a lot of moving parts right now and uh it's it's amazing to see that the the community is really reaching out their hand and saying hey we want to mm -hmm. make a difference we really want to help you in your mission and and uh let's let's do this together so yeah we're yeah. super grateful for for everybody involved yeah all over helping in canada for sure so jimmy on that note um you talked about these um the group events to start so um, is this going to be like, you mentioned all the States and you talked about what you're doing in Albany and New York state there, but, um, is this going to be kind of an Oregon centric thing? Or you mentioned like, uh, these other, like, well, Arkansas and then, you know, New Mexico and so, but is, do you have the centric to certain States or is it just going to be an Oregon to start or, or what does it kind of look like? And can people that are interested from outside that area as a mentor or a mentee, uh, put their name in to get involved? Yeah, um, we are. We're actually going to be doing these these bigger events where we're going to be hosting hunts uh, in the states that get the most traction. Um, so New York has been a, a state that's gotten a lot of traction. California, Oregon, Washington, uh, New Mexico, and uh, and Minnesota. So these states are the, the the ones that we're focusing in on to be to begin with. And then uh, as uh, word gets out about what we're doing and we get more traction, we're going to be spreading into more states. And then uh, eventually we'll be doing some outreach and uh, active recruiting um, for our mentorship programs. Um, but we that's that's in the works. The, the foundation of that is is being talked about um, on the side right now. But um, yeah, uh, I mean we're we're spreading like wildfire. <laughs> That's awesome. So now you mentioned with the mentorship program, you're looking for mentors and you're looking for all races. So uh, Caucasian doesn't matter, white. You're everyone's encouraged, or is it? Do you have to be a person of color to get involved in that? No, everybody's encouraged. Um, awesome. We, it's going to take an army to to achieve our our mission of of making the demographics resemble that of what the United States or North America looks like. Um, so yeah, if you have any interest in getting involved, uh, please sign up. And uh, I mean, it's, it's up to you. I mean, your commitment is on your, it's up to you. So if you only want to do one hunter every 10 years, that's fine by us. Um, but it, it, it's up to individuals and, and how comfortable they are passing along the, the knowledge of hunting. Uh, fantastic. And, you know, hats off to you for having the vision to have that inclusivity. I think that's really important and, and lacking. Um, and just to have that inclusivity and get everyone involved is is really an important part of that. So 
good on you guys to recognize that and include um, individuals. Do you mind just sharing with us um, if somebody's interested? Um, and I guess on that note, um, if somebody from a lot of our listeners are Canadian, but not exclusively, if you're up in Canada here and you want to get involved, um, are you interested in hearing from people uh, from Canada as well? Or, or is it just kind of outside your purview right now? Yeah. So uh, we've, we've gotten a ton of interest from uh, British Columbia and, and, primarily out of the city in uh, Vancouver mm-hmm. and uh, it's on our list to get up there within the next year or two um, okay. and start programming up there. Um, we also have a lot of traction out of like Ontario, um, Quebec, um, mainly out of the cities. Um, but we do have some mentors already signed up out of those places. And we just, we have to figure out insurance in the United States first. And then once we, figure that out and we can probably transfer that over to across the border. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so if somebody's interested in signing up as a mentor or a mentee, uh, how do they do that? Where do they go? Uh, everything that you can, well, should be, you should be able to find everything on our, uh, our website. It's huntersofcolor.org. Um, it's under construction right now. It, it probably, well, it's still works. Everything's functional, but, uh, our website design is very rudimentary. Uh, Lydia actually put it together in like 35 minutes <laughs> <laughs> and we're looking for, uh, for somebody to go and take another swing at it and clean it up a little bit, but it's, it's there. Um, the application is, uh, is there and it should only take about 15 minutes to fill out. Cool. So, you know, we're, you're at an early stage, just kind of your first, you're still in your first year, really. Um, and you obviously have a lot of growth plans. Now, I'm guessing that all three of your volunteers, the all three founders, or, or any of you guys going full time at this? Um, so I volunteer. I work a full time job. Um, I'm a manufacturing engineer, as my profession. Uh, nice. Lydia has been working in nonprofit, the nonprofit realm, for a little over two years now, and she just jumped ship to go full time on Hunters of Color as a volunteer. Um, so we're waiting on funding to funding to come in, um, for her to start, start making a living off of this because it's, it really is a, it's, uh, I mean, four people probably couldn't take on this amount of work if they're all full time. So Lydia is our, our champion right now, um, and doing a lot of the heavy lifting, um, and hopefully we'll, we'll get her paid soon to, to do all this and, um, it shouldn't be long until grant money starts coming in and, um, we, uh, we have somebody working on this full time and able to, to really start pushing the envelope. Yeah. So that was my next question. So funding models for this, obviously you're not for profit. There's donations, uh, corporate, private, personal, um, so, you know, where do you guys, I guess you've probably seen a pretty big need for this. It sounds like, you know, obviously you've got a really strong mentorship program going with what you the spring already we've seen that um and you know you're growing leaps and bounds to the social media channels obviously instagram is doing really well so i guess uh funding models moving forward um there's obviously yeah government grants probably available and then you know if somebody's interested in supporting you guys how does that work can they just reach out and and donations that sort of thing or yeah we we do have a donation portal on our uh website uh it's color.org again um, and everything that comes in is, uh, tax refundable. So 
Uh, I'm not sure how it how it reciprocates across the border, um, uh, but for the the American viewers, uh, every dollar that you donate to us is tax deductible, and um, at the end of the year when you're filing for taxes, um, at least during this last year, 100% of the dollars that you donated to charity came back to you, um, and so uh, it's I mean it's an easy way to give back and to do uh, uh, your part. Um, and every dollar is going to be going towards our programming and uh, making sure that we're pushing for uh, towards our mission. And we're going to be our, the salaries that we, we get, um, well, for Lydia at least, are going to be funded through grants. Um, and that'll be through federal grants. Um, grants given to us by different state agencies and, and stuff like that. So, um, being a nonprofit really helps on that sector where you can get donations from, from individuals, from private parties. And, and also it allows you to get, um, grant funding. Fantastic, man. Um, yeah, uh, hats off to you guys. So now in terms of moving forward, when you look at the organization, um, and you look at the work that needs to be done. What what are kind of your areas of focus? Is it about um, promotion, getting people into more people into the community, and and uh, promoting it that way, or do you see it as uh, promoting uh, more diversity in in the hunting community? What's kind of the biggest barrier that you see right now? Uh, I guess for hunters of color as an organization, and just for hunters of color as well. Um. Well, so it's it's gonna take more than just uh, than posting people on Instagram. It's gonna take more than just getting people out into hunting. Uh, what it's really gonna take is uh, everybody stepping up and realizing that there are uh, gen uh, wealth gaps, there are generational knowledge gaps that exist within hunting. Um, if you uh, if you've been removed from anything for one generation, it's really hard to, to be handed down that, that knowledge. Mm -hmm. So, um, one of the biggest things we have as an organization moving forward is, well, one funding, um, starting up this huge thing where everybody's reaching out at, at this moment and wanting to do something with us. Um, but we're, we're spread thin and, um, uh, but as we develop, uh, I think uh, I mean, the, the goal for us truly is to, is to not exist. Uh, we want to fail. We want to accomplish our mission and then let hunting be naturally passed down from, from generation to generation as it, as it was and should be. Um, and we, I mean, we live for that and, uh, hopefully it, it, it's accomplished within the next 20 years. Um, maybe less. Um, but yeah, so, uh, the biggest thing is, is just making sure that everybody's on board, knows the, the barriers to entry that exist, um, wants to help. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been so, we've gotten so much good feedback that I'm having a hard time seeing any negatives to what we're trying to accomplish or any huge barriers that might stand us still. Fantastic. So you're hoping 20 years down the road that Hunters of Color does not exist because there's just not a need for, for the organization that we're all just going to be in the bush and we're all going to be doing our thing. And uh, 
and hunters will be colorblind basically, right? Yeah. Um, not colorblind, but, uh, know that at one point there were barriers, uh, and that they no longer exist and that everybody is out there because we share the love for hunting. We love, we share the love for outdoors and, and conservation and, uh, and we're just within community with one another and uh, living those, those stories around the campfire. And uh, yeah, I, I just hope that we get to that point uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, good for you. And I think that's a valid point. You know, when you, when you get people around the campfire, that's a really good place, right? There's a lot mm-hmm. of bonds that are built around that. And I think, you know, if we could get people out there and, and doing this thing that we love together and you get around the campfire, it breaks down a lot of barriers because we understand each other more. Um, we're more open. We're inclusive. I, I feel like, you know, everyone's welcome at my campfire. And when I'm around that campfire, things change for me. Um, uh, you know, people that it, maybe I didn't have time for or didn't know that well and it wasn't necessarily I didn't like them. Um, guaranteed after we've shared a campfire, I'll have a, a good vibe from that person, right? So, yeah, it's a, I love that word you use too, community, right? So um, really, really good good language you're using there for sure, Jimmy. And I think there's such a huge need for this and, and hats off to you and, and Lydia and Thomas for putting this all together. It's such a fantastic concept. So, um, so I, I know you got uh, plans tonight, but I'm just, I, there's one more I got to talk to you. So um, when we, when we look at hundreds of color and you know, you've seen a lot of support, um, you know, 99.9% good stuff. How is it looking when you reach out to organizations and companies? What kind of support have you got? You mentioned BHA has been good. You mentioned a few other organizations. Um, are you seeing a, a lot of support and people wanting to jump up organizations wanting to jump on board and get involved in with what you guys are doing? Yeah. Um, for the most part, I think companies are eager to, find a way to do authentic outreach. And the best way to do that is with an organization that's dedicated to that outreach. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, we've had uh, a lot of private companies reaching out and saying, hey, we want to support you guys. How do we do that? Uh, we've also had a lot of companies say, hey, we need you to do this for us. But <laughs> they're missing one component is that, Everything is there's a price on it, and if you're a if you're a for-profit company, uh, you have money to allocate towards these things that you want an organization to do for you. Um, so yeah, that's that's one of the that's one of the things that we've we've come into contact with is that there's companies that are asking us to do a lot for them, but aren't willing to uh, to realize that there is a value on that for what we're what we're trying to do. Um, and, and then once we break that down, once people realize that, yes, there's, there's a cost associated with true outreach, um, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll start going a little quicker. <laughs> I feel that one. <laughs> I feel that one a lot. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Uh, Steve, you got anything else for Jimmy? I want to know more about this turkey hunt before he goes away. Like <laughs> we, we, we started chatting about it before we started recording and get into that i saw some amazing pictures we were chatting back and forth and you said oh yeah just getting set up on a turkey hunt and you sent a picture there was like seven or ten birds or whatever it was right there i'm like oh come on that's not that's not fair so get into that a bit like, <laughs> yeah. i've never i've never killed a turkey <laughs> oh man we'll have to we'll have to change that here pretty soon uh, yeah oregon and 
California are are probably one of the better states to go turkey hunting. Uh, if you can find private land, uh, well, there's public land here in Eastern Oregon. There's a ton of public land where there's a really good bird population. Um, but in California, there, there are birds everywhere. You drive up and down I-5 and you'll see them just crossing the highway or on the side. And uh, wow. so I grew up grew up in Sonoma Valley, California, and the the entire valley is privately held and owned. Um, and so I had the fortune of my best friend had, uh, he, he grew up on a property of, uh, it was 250 acres on one side of the road and another 250 acres on the other side of the road. And uh, there were turkey everywhere there. So that's where I really cut my teeth and learned how to hunt and uh, how to set up decoys, how to call them in. Um, how to stay still. Um, and so, uh, this last year I, I realized that, okay, we, well, one, we need to prove our, our mentorship concept. We need to, uh, figure out if turkey hunting is going to be a viable option for, uh, mentorship. And so the first hunt of the year, we actually, uh, we reached out to Rue Map, who is a, a friend of ours, uh, who lives close to, uh, to, to Sonoma. And she invited out her mentor and her mentee, even though she's only been hunting for a year. And, uh, she, she was like, Jimmy, do you think we'll be able to get three Turkey in one day? And, uh, I was like, Oh, well, we'll try. And I didn't want to promise anything, but, uh, within 10 minutes of, of opening day, uh, Rue and her mentor had tagged out and, wow not five minutes later uh her mentee who was set up with me uh had a crack at his first turkey and it was uh it was like a 10 10 yard shot wow but i think the pattern was too tight and it was a clean miss um and as i was getting up to to re relocate um two other toms came running up the oh, hill <laughs> and so uh i started creeping back to make it sound like a, a hen was going around the corner and these turkeys came in within feet of, of Angelo and, uh, he got another shot at, at one missed again. And, uh, he was feeling down on himself, but I, I knew that there's plenty of Turkey in the area. And, uh, so we, we went back down to the truck. We, we recouped, uh, regrouped, made sure that everybody was feeling good. Rue and, uh, her mentor Holly were, uh, just ecstatic that they had already gotten their birds. And, uh, so we shot out, we had another Turkey come in and it was sitting there about 20, 20 yards, but where I was, I could see it perfectly, but where Angelo was, there was a mm -hmm. tree between him and the, the Turkey. So, uh, I tried to reach over and grab one of my fans to see if I could, uh, pull his attention off to the side and it ended up busting him out of there. And so we, we went down the goalie, um, into this like perfectly like Oak Savannah, uh, area where it was like, it was just luscious green grass. And there was this Tom just gobbling his head off over the little ridge. And so set up the decoy, called him in and it took him about 45 minutes to go the, that hundred yards. And he did this big loop all the way into us. And the Turkey was at 25 yards about five yards away from the decoy. And I, I leaned over to Angela and I said, are you ready? And he said, <laughs> yeah. And I said, 
shoot him when you're ready. And he dropped the turkey. He jumped up celebrating and was just, and I was enthralled. Uh, awesome. Me and Thomas, uh, you'll, if you go on our, our Instagram page, there's a, there's an image of that turkey coming in. Um, and uh, Thomas captured the, there's pictures of it. So Angelo got his first turkey. Rue got her first turkey. Um, and then we made it back to Oregon for opening uh, or for opening weekend in Oregon. Uh, we brought out two other individuals who got their first turkey. And then Jonathan Wilkins came up to, to hang out and uh, he got his first turkey on uh, our first day out. And that was that was cool, too, because we we were on this there's a really thin piece of property. Um, and so Jonathan's from Arkansas. And he said that if you shoot a turkey, one turkey every three years, you're probably the best turkey hunter in Arkansas. Jeez. So, so the, the densities there are, are super low. And I think he said he'd seen, uh, what was it, four, four turkey before that his entire life. And so the, the day he, he flew in, we drove him up to this property that, that tends to have like two or 300 turkey on it. And we just, we just drove around and, and he was like, he was just in shock at how many birds there were. Um, and so the next day we went to this, this really thin property and happened to call two turkeys up to the fence and they came under. And as they, as we're at, at the fence, Jonathan and I doubled on, uh, on turkeys that first day. Wow. Uh, <laughs> the next day we, we got busted by a turkey. And then the day after that, he ended up getting the second turkey. Wow. Yeah. You're the turkey yeah. whisperer. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I learned, well, that's probably where my, I'm most proficient is with turkey. Uh, just because I had so many opportunities um, and learned learned a lot by by failure uh, growing up, and uh, I think I've had it. I've narrowed in those skills, and uh, I'm mm. at the point where I, I'm pretty confident in getting people on birds. <laughs> that sounds like wow. a blast. It yeah. really does. Wow. <laughs> Next spring, we're going down to Oregon, Steve. No <laughs> kidding. Road trip. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. I'll meet you guys uh, anywhere, or you can come hunt the the properties around here. Works for me. That's, that's awesome, Jimmy. Right on. Well, hey, I know you got uh, plans tonight. I just want to thank you and Lydia um, for taking the time for us today and and meeting with us and and educating us on what you guys do and you're doing fantastic work there. Um, I got two words for you, or three, or whatever it is: sheep hunting chapter of hunters of color come on buddy you got to get on that figure that out we need a sheep hunting chapter so yeah um <laughs> I, I really want to get up and and do a, a hunt up there i've i've always like my dream hunt uh is in british columbia i think uh, this, this is how i have it pictured in my head this is where i go i get dropped off with a raft um at like a, a higher lake and then i float down from that lake to uh different hunting spots and each night we set up camp and we go do hunts out of camp from the river and uh i've always dreamed about that i think i saw a youtube video like 2014 maybe that somebody did that where they uh one of their buddies had passed away and they they put his ashes ashes into some shotgun shells and mm -hmm. uh went to spread his ashes out in the uh out in the wilderness and 
they did a floating trip and I, I was like, I need to do that before I'm dead, before I need to be, or before I do it on in a shotgun shell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's pretty much right where I live, right in the center of BC that there's lots of float hunts around here. So yeah, we should, we should set something up. We should discuss. That's, that's a thing that's, that's doable. <laughs> Absolutely. It is. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It is. That's awesome. I, yeah, I uh, get moose. I get moose in my front yard. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. I think if you come to BC, you won't be disappointed <laughs> unless you're chasing turkeys. <laughs> uh, I don't think we can stop Oregon, but uh, it depends where you're chasing turkeys. Apparently. Yeah, in the, in the Kootenays, yeah. there's turkeys, but yeah, yeah, not like sure. that. So, yeah, awesome, Jimmy. Well, we want to thank you again. Um, wish you guys the best of luck, and uh, look forward to watching you guys grow and doing the great work that you're doing there. And uh, just thank you for taking the time to meet with us today, and wish you all the best with everything you guys uh, got going on there. I got some, I got a good feeling about what you guys are going to do. So much involved, it's going to be a real good, uh, real good part of the landscape moving forward. So, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Kyle and Steve. It's uh, it's awesome that you guys are willing to highlight our mission and and are on board for what we're trying to do. Absolutely, we are, buddy. Absolutely, awesome.